Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel by which we are saved. The good news of who you are and what you have done to rescue us from our sins. Lord, we praise you and thank you and we ask that today, Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, that you would glorify Jesus as you've said you will, and that you will show us how to grow as the people of God sent into this world with the good news of Jesus in a part of your gospel plan for this world. We pray it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Uh, we are, as mentioned, in Acts chapter 13. If you haven't already had a chance to get there, please join me in not having a bookmark and looking it up. Um, now, we're, in, uh, we're in, in the middle sermon of this series, um, the, uh, the chiastic centre, if you want a Hebrew poetry word that I'm just going to throw in and not explain and, and just, just not, um, not apologise for, uh, of, of, of this sermon series. Um, we are going through this thing. In fact, I would go further than calling it a sermon series. I would say this is an experience our church is going through at the moment that we're calling gospel-shaped outreach. Um, I call it an experience rather than just a sermon series because this is bigger than just a preaching series, what we're doing at the moment. Uh, for starters, this is a thing we're doing in our gospel communities as well. Alongside this, we are seeking to really need this truth of who we are in the gospel as people sent to reach the world with the gospel uh, into our lives. Uh, and, and then also, not just that we're doing that there, but there's real fruit, I think, coming of this. Um, I think that there is something tangibly happening here at Gospel Church at the moment, which I find quite exciting. Uh, we are beginning to see ourselves more clearly than we have before as the missionary children of God, as, as a family of missionaries. And we are beginning to get excited about the fact that God has called us into what he is doing here in this world and in this part of this world. I'm having more conversations with people around this whole area of evangelism than I have, you know, probably in the year previous to this. People seem to be beginning to see themselves in the light of our identity here. And that's so exciting. Well, as, uh, now, let me just say, if you're joining us for this and this is your first time in it and you, and, and you hear this today and you go, wow, I wish I, I knew more about what on earth he's talking about, uh, you can listen to the other parts of this series there on our, on our website, gospelchurchmillison.com, um, or you can just type gospel-shaped outreach into the internet. You can actually find a book about it as well. But, um, but uh, this week, uh, as with every week, we're asking a question. Uh, and this week, uh, the question that we're asking uh, is a really exciting question. It's a question... Um, which we might get a bit caught up in the answering of and thrilled in the answering of, and in so doing, we might even be tempted to land a little bit off target as we answer it. Uh, the question is, what is the gospel plan? What is the gospel plan? Now, if you're like me, it's very tempting to answer that question in a way kind of like this. Well, first, we've got to kind of get our people here at church to start engaging with their neighbours, getting to know people who don't know Jesus. We get every Christian to think about who they have in their life who still needs Jesus. Uh, we get people praying about how they might engage in conversations about Jesus. Maybe we do a bit of training about how to talk to people about Jesus. And then, you know, maybe we run some events. We'll do something called the Life Series. It'll be great. Uh, and... and that's good stuff, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. In fact, that is almost, to the letter, things that we are doing as a church 
but that's not the plan. Not the big plan. Uh, we're going to Acts 13 today. Uh, and, and we're going to look at the answer we find there to this question. And what we'll find is that the gospel plan isn't our plan. It's not my plan. It's not your plan. It isn't what we do, but rather there is only one gospel plan. And it is God's plan, which he, ingra- he graciously invites us into. As we come to this passage, we find... Paul preaching a sermon at a synagogue. Uh, This is a thing he does quite a bit in the book of Acts. Uh, It's in one of the numerous ancient cities called Antioch. Uh, If you've ever read the book of Acts and become confused about about the Antiochs, it's because I think there was, don't quote me on this, 13 ancient Antiochs, uh, because there were some ancient rulers who had the the name Antiochus, and everyone loved naming stuff after them. Uh, but Paul and his companions, they've arrived in, in what is this, um, quite a major city, uh, Antioch in Pisidia, or Pisidian Antioch, if you like. It's a local administrative capital and the most significant centre in its immediate region. Um, think perhaps, you know, the Middleton of South Australia. Uh, maybe Adelaide. Uh, Pisidian Antioch is known to have been a city with a significant Jewish population as well. And so naturally, as they did in most other cities, Paul and his friends, they go to the synagogue, the place of Jewish worship, with the intention of sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus there. Uh, And in the synagogue, they ask Paul, we've got anything to share, a word of encouragement for us. And Paul gets up to speak. And what he says, when you actually apply yourself to thinking about it, might be a little bit surprising for us. Right? You know, Paul launches into what is essentially a history lesson for the first about half of what he says. Um, What do we expect Paul to say? This is a a good question to ask when you're reading the Bible and like you're just kind of chugging along and and it's a good thing to ask yourself, just pause and go, what would I expect to have happened next? And then find out what happened next because then it breaks your expectations quite often. Um, You know, maybe we would have expected Paul to get up and to say, you are sinners in need of God's grace. And he has provided it in Jesus. He's provided everything you need in Christ when he died on the cross and rose again, so on and so forth, right? Um, And, and, you know, he's getting there. He does. uh, But that's not what happens at the outset. Um, You know, somebody once said to me, you can't compare a modern sermon to the sermons in the Bible uh, because a modern sermon keeps quoting scripture, whereas the ones in the Bible, they're just talking about life and how to live life. And uh, I, uh, I wish like, someone needed to tell Paul that, is what I'm saying. Uh, and Jesus, I suppose. Paul, Paul goes straight to the Old Testament uh, scriptures, and he retells the history of the people of Israel as his, as his opening to his sermon. The God of this people, Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And he goes on, he tells the story, I won't read the whole thing out again, tells the story of their deliverance from Egypt, uh, the, the way that God put up with them in the wilderness, interesting wording, Paul, the way that God led them into the promised land, provided them with judges, provided them with kings, before he makes it up to David, at which point he finally brings Jesus into the picture. Um, Of this man, that's David's, uh, offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus. And we might be like, why the long road to Jesus, Paul? Like, why why not go straight there? 
I mean, he's preaching to Jews and to God-fearing Gentiles. What they have in common is that they already know what he's saying here. Uh, in fact, uh, before he gets to Jesus, that is. In fact, we read at the start that just before he gets up to talk, they've been reading from the law. Uh, and when they say the law, what they mean is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the, the, the Torah, or what we might call the Pentateuch, uh, meaning that they've been literally reading from this story, potentially. Uh, they've, they've just been reading this, and yet there's a really good reason that Paul takes them on this long road to Jesus. What Paul is trying to point out is that the God they worship is a God who has one plan. God hasn't been disjointedly putting together his plan along the way. It's not like the Israelites went into Egypt and then slavery and, 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 and God, God saw the slavery and it was like, oh gosh, well, you know, how am I going to make the most of this? Uh, and kind of, he's, so he brings them out, um, but then they're disobedient in the wilderness. Um, and he's like, it's still good. It's still good. Okay, what can we do? We'll try something else. Wait for a generation to die off. And then, and then I guess we'll enter a, a beautiful new land. And then, you know, that kind of doesn't pan out very well because they get in there and it turns out the next generation is also disobedient. Surprise. And then he sends judges to help out with that. Uh, but that also kind of doesn't work. So he sends kings uh, and he sends prophets. And all the while he's like, he's like, I'm going to date myself a little bit, and this may, be not, be, may not be helpful for like 70% of us here, but Brain from the cartoon show from my childhood, Pinky and the Brain. Anyone? Come on. Yes. Thank you. I see that hand. Uh, you know, when Pinky goes, what should we do tonight, Brain? But it's, what should we do tonight, God? And, and he goes, same thing we do every night. Try to, t try to save the world, right? Um, and and yeah, sorry if, if that doesn't speak to you. But, um, but there's a real risk for us that we read the Bible this way, that we read it and think of God like this, even just subconsciously we think of God this way, like God is this powerful but not all-powerful guy, sovereign-ish ruler of the universe, who's going, he's doing his best to keep it all together, to make it all work out in the end, and you know, he's pretty powerful, it'll probably pan out, but, but that's not how it is. And these guys listening would have known it. The, the Old Testament attests to the fact that before Israel even goes into Egypt, God tells them, you're going to be slaves there, but after 400 years, I'm going to bring you out and into a new land. Before Abraham, if you know your history, Abraham, father of Isaac, father of Jacob, who is the father of Israel, right? So it's a long time back. Before Abraham even has sons, God tells him that the promised land is going to belong to his descendants. In fact, you can go much, much, much further back than that, like we saw in, in Genesis chapter 3 last week, say, uh, and, and, and even as humanity God is working out a plan. He promises a rescuer who is going to crush Satan. Well, get your head around this, like pre-fall. Before that, Genesis 2, you can go there and you can ask yourself, why, why is it that when God made Eve, he put Adam down into a deep sleep, cut him open, removed his rib or his side, 
uh, and then made her from that. I mean, do you ever read that and go like, what are you doing, God? Like, what's with the surgical procedure before the fall? That seems a bit odd. I mean, he made Adam from the dust. He could have just done that with Eve as well, right? Like, he could have done it any way he wanted. He could have, boom, like, like Eve, done. But, but that's how he does it. And, and the only plausible answer that I can think of, you know, that I can see, is that he was typologically pointing forward. Even before the fall to the greater Adam who was to come. Who would come, who would be pierced in the side, who would go down into the grave. And when he rose, the new bride, the church, would be born out of his suffering. God has no problems, only plans. That's, um, my clicky doodle's not working. Can you? Cory Ten Boom said that anyway. It doesn't matter. You don't need it. Psalm 33. God says, oh, the Bible says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. God's plans aren't like our plans. And when it comes to salvation, God has only ever had one plan that has been working out through all of history. Get this. The plan isn't you or me. The plan isn't just the formation of Israel or the calling of kings. There is only one plan, and Jesus is the one and only plan for salvation. Notice how clear Paul is about this, how much he labours this point. Jesus is the one and only plan for salvation. Paul hammers this drum actually repeatedly in this passage. Uh, he, he keeps on pointing to the Old Testament and saying this exists to point towards Jesus. Uh, notice he actually he, he says it four times in a couple of verses. In verse 23, he says that Jesus was brought to Israel as God promised. He's, he's bringing out this promise element. And all this stuff that he's just said about Israel, what's the promise? What's being fulfilled? What's it looking forward to? It's looking forward to Jesus. In verse 27, he points to the prophets that they read there in that synagogue every Sabbath. And he says that when the suffering of Jesus, which the religious leaders brought about, uh, that that suffering was the fulfillment. Literally, it was the completion of the intentions of those prophetic writings. Verse 29, he says, again, that everything that Jesus went through was written of him beforehand. Verse 33, he says that Jesus' resurrection was in accordance with the promises that God had made to their fathers. And, and to cap it all off, uh, Paul quotes from Psalm 2 and Psalm 16 to make the point that God always intended this. Because Jesus is God's one and only plan for salvation. Jesus came, Jesus lived a perfect life, and died our death in our place, carrying all the weight of my idols, all the weight of my sin and my death, all the weight of the punishment that we deserved. He carried it down into the grave and rose again. And those who repent of sin and believe in Jesus will be saved. This is God's one and only plan of salvation. 
love what, what uh, John Piper writes about this. He, he, he writes that what is most astonishing about the substitution of Jesus for sinners is that it was God's idea. Christ did not intrude on God's plan to punish sinners. God planned for him to be there. You know, there are those who try to separate God, uh, God's plan into two sections. Who will say, at, at this point, God is working in this way uh, and, and towards this people. And then at this point, he's working towards those people in a different way. And, and at one point, you know, maybe he'll be working towards both of those and, you know, in, in different ways, but at the same time. Uh, and, you know, kind of working out two salvation plans simultaneously. The problem is that the Bible's repeated insistence is that there is only one plan that God has been working out the whole way through. You know, we might hear that and think, oh, isn't that silly? You know, gosh, John, you've wasted about 20 minutes of my time here on this. I already knew that God only had one plan. But here's the thing. Sometimes we functionally end up acting like there's more than one way for people to be saved. How many churches act like it's enough if a person just comes to church? You know, who are the saved people? The saved people are the people who come every week. There are churches where you can be pushed out for suggesting that a person who comes to church isn't saved. Going to church doesn't save you. That, I mean, that, that should be self-evident. If you plan to show up in heaven one day and say, hey, let me in. You know, I went to church every single week. Get ready for things to go south in a really fast, really bad way. Be honest with yourself, how much of that fear about sharing the good news of Jesus roots in the fact that we really think that the plan requires me to be really charming? How much of, of our fears in evangelism root in thinking that I'm the plan? I need to be charming, I need to be winsome, I need to be attractive. Uh, a better person who people want to believe and trust in God, God doesn't need charming, winsome, attractive people. God has a plan, and it is his son. All you need to do is be faithful in seeking to share that good news and inviting people to hear it. It's so important that we lay grasp of this again and again and again. Jesus is still the only plan today. Paul... Um, Paul reaches this climax in his sermon and he makes this big statement. It's verse 38. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bible says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. You can't work your way out of your guilt. You can't 
meditate enough or attend church enough or help enough old ladies to cross the street that you will be saved and be right with God. You know, if you were here, remember what we looked at last week. People are separated from God and subjected to idols. That is a base nature of our reality apart from Christ. We can't fix that. You can't fix that. Your charm can't fix that in someone else. Paul ends his sermon with a warning. He's again, he's quoting the Old Testament. He, he, he says not to scoff at what God is doing. And even 2,000 years later, even as a saved person, there is a chance that we might be tempted to scoff at God's plan. Surely that's not all there is. Just proclaim Jesus. Surely there's more. Surely people need to meet a standard before they're saved. Surely that person couldn't be saved who did the horrible things. Surely people need to have demonstrated it in some way before they're actually saved. Surely I need to be more effective, be more wonderful before people will be saved. But no, 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 it's not about you. God's plan was, is, and always will be Jesus and Jesus alone. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, don't you know this by experience? As Paul leaves the synagogue, we read that the people begged him to come back and to teach them again. They begged. Haven't, haven't you had that moment in your faith? You know, certainly we go through seasons that feel dry and feel difficult, but haven't you also had those moments where you just want to soak up this good news forever? where you experience the freedom of the gospel and you realize that there's nothing better than Jesus and you just want to know more of him. And we, you know, we might read that then, we might get to this then and go, well, where do I fit into all of this then? You know, if Jesus is the gospel plan, does this not mean logically that I can just kind of sit back? And, and God's going to do what God's going to do. And incredibly, graciously, the answer is no. God's plan for salvation is Jesus and only Jesus. It's not you. Be freed from the pressure of needing to save people. It's not you. It's him. You can't rescue a single person on, under your own steam. But God chooses to work this plan out to show people Jesus, not to show people you, to show people Jesus by taking flawed, small people and sending them out to bring the good news about Jesus into the lives of those who don't, don't know him. Do you see how this is different? You don't save anyone, but by God's grace, he will save people through you. Or, or more biblically, through us. You know, The Bible doesn't envisage a bunch of free agents who, who are independent of each other. Um, you know, independently talk to people about Jesus. But like, 
We are a community together on the mission of God. You know, if what you do is invite someone to come along to Life Series and they come to faith in Jesus there, glory to God, right? It's not about you racking up numbers. It's not about me racking up numbers. We're free to invite people into our lives who don't know Jesus. We're free to make spaces in our lives where we connect with people, where we build relationships with gospel intentionality. We're free to talk to people about Jesus and about how good he has been to us. We're free to point away from ourselves and towards him. Someone might say, you know, I don't like Christians. And you can justifiably say, that's okay. We're a busted up bunch. You've done some busted up stuff, but you need to know Jesus. He is so good. We're free to invite people to church. We're free to invite people to evangelistic events like the Life Series. Free to be rejected five times before they actually come along. Or maybe they never do. Because it's not about us. It's not about my ego being built up by a person responding the right way for what I wanted. It's just about me faithfully walking in what God has done in my life and is trying to reveal about Jesus, not about me. When people do come to faith, we're freed from getting a big head about that because it was all him working in me. We can say with Paul, it wasn't me, but the grace of God working in me. God's gospel plan is Jesus. And he invites us to be a part of its working out in this age. Gosh, we don't need to pray about that. So let's, let's pray about that together. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Before ever we considered that we might be a part of taking it out, Lord, we were people who desperately needed it. Even today, we are people who desperately need your good news, who need you to be walking with us day by day, pouring the truth of Jesus into our lives and transforming us through it. Lord, you are a God who's only ever had one plan of salvation, working out throughout all of history, that your grace might come through Christ. We thank you, Lord, that your plan is good, so much better than ours. Lord, I shudder to think if the plan was, let's get a really winsome and wonderful preacher, and it's going to be John. Hoy. any of us can resonate with that we're not up to it Lord but we thank you that we're not the plan the plan is the grace you work through Jesus and you have poured that grace into us we ask that you would pour it out through us make us a people who are freed by the gospel from the pressure to save people freed to be a part of how you are saving people. Lord, we pray for our community and for our lives. We pray that you'd be at work working out your plan, showing Christ to lost sinners and bringing people into your kingdom. 
We pray it all in the good name of Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord and our King. Amen.